title. Um, commandment it sounds a little bit overbearing, doesn't it? A little bit sort of, um, uh, you know, and we, as I was saying a little while ago, we maybe go into the old English and sort of scowl and have, imagine a Cecil B. DeMille sort of 1960s rendition of God, or Moses rather, the great big beard, kind of, you know, thou shalt not. And it just sounds restrictive, it sounds domineering. Um, and I'm not sure it's the best translation of the Hebrew word that we have commandment. It's um, literally, it's covenant word. Um, it is word of life. It is, these are, these are what God gives us, bread of life, word of life to chew on. Um, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. These are, these are so that we can live. This is for our freedom. This is for our flourishing. Um, so we pay attention to them in that regard. So Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And if you just flick over to Exodus uh, chapter 20 and verse, going from verse eight. The words of God through Moses. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, uh, not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Father, we live in a busy culture and in a busy, frantic city. We live amongst people driven by their work, twisted and contorted out of shape in their lives. And we long to live lives in such a way that we put straight and put right what you have so graciously and wonderfully ordained for human flourishing 
for living well. Teach us about work and about rest. Release in us the will, the determination to be those who live well from rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The fourth word of life to God's people is to keep, well, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Keep it distinct, set apart. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Here are the principles that lead up to Sabbath. First, work is good. Work is good. It's, it's, it's not a curse, although it is cursed in the fall. Work in and of itself is a good thing, and it's blessed by God. We saw that in uh, Genesis 1 and verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. In other words, work. Increase in number. Fill the earth. Subdue it. There's work to do. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Work is good. If you think about creation, six days, periods of creation, uh, extraordinary vision, um, to, to create all that there is out of nothing. I mean, to just to conceive of that, that's incredibly hard work. And then actually to roll it out, he made the stars also. Arguably the greatest throwaway line in the whole of literature. Uh, but at the same time, he's busy making the individual petals of a daisy or your fingerprints so that no two fingerprints are ever the same. You are unique. He's made all the intricacies of the human body the vascular, muscular system and so on, as well as all the animals in the air, on the land, in the sea. What an extraordinary piece of work. And God blesses this and says it's very good. So work is good. But so is rest. Secondly, rest is good. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd done. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and then God blessed the seventh day, the day on which he rested, and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Work is good. When, when we rest, it's not because we hate work, it, theologically and in the ideal. Work is good, but rest is good, and both are created and ordained and blessed by God. Just a little bit on, on rest as a, as a sort of theological definition. We could, we could break it into two parts, really. There's an element in which there's a sort of withdrawal in rest, and there's a, an element where we press in. Rest is a, is a withdrawal from, from physical work, from whatever it is that God is calling us to do. So we use our minds and use our hands, our bodies to be fruitful and productive in whatever form that takes, whether paid or unpaid, as work. Um, and so rest is ordained to withdraw from that as we tire as human beings. But there's also a sense in which in stepping back from physical labor, from our manual labor, we step into rest, which is, is to press into God's rest, to press into Sabbath. And for us to fully grasp that, we need to understand that, that God's 
rest from creation is not because, like us, it, it, we, we get tired when we, when we work hard. We need physical rest. But God doesn't tire in the way that we do. He doesn't need rest. It's not as if this creation account here is, you know, in six days he made the world. It's a flipping hard work. And so by the seventh day, he was so shattered, he had to sort of create a Sabbath just to kind of, just to flop out. No, in fact, if you think about it, this work of creation is only the beginning. All of these animals and birds and plants, they need sustaining. The, the seasons, the sun, the wind, the rain. In fact, if you read the last few chapters of Job, he's got quite a few questions to ask to Job. Where were you when this happened, that happened, the other happened? All these things you know nothing about. Who do you think is busy sustaining the world in which you live? There's plenty of work that God is always doing. But alongside the work, there's rest. God ordains rest. And rest is also an eternal, ongoing thing. And God creates Sabbath, keeping it holy to say every now and then, once a week, for a day a week, we withdraw from work and rest in that sense. And by withdrawing from work, we free ourselves to press into Sabbath, God's rest. Now, if God wasn't needing, he wasn't sort of, you know, needing to physically restore himself, then what is, what is rest to God? What is God's rest that we press into? And I want to argue that it is, it is complete and deep satisfaction. At the end of creation, the sixth day, it was good, it was good, it was good. At the end of the sixth day, it was very good. God, God kind of chooses to withdraw from that work and he presses into this enjoyment of all that he has made. This is so good. I'm going to linger in this moment. Sabbath. There's a wonderful line. Actually, if you've just got it in, um, you may think I'm reading a bit too much into this. I, I don't know, pushback. Uh, but um, this is uh, during the, the, the tragic description of the fall when Adam and Eve uh, decide in chapter 3 to not to do things God's way, to disobey his uh, perfect, good, life-giving rule. They decide to take matters into their own hands. They eat of a fruit that is forbidden for them. And uh, almost immediately they become aware that something has gone wrong. There's that kind of dis-ease, that, that pit in the stomach feel. And... Um, the writer of Genesis describes, verse 8, that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they, they hide from him. They hide because they know they're kind of guilty and beginning to be covered in shame. But there's this beautiful image of the Lord in the, just enjoying what he's made in the cool of the day. He's kind of Sabbathing. I, I've, I've worked hard at making all this, and I'm going to withdraw from the activity so that I can just enjoy walking in this wondrous place. So Sabbath rest, God's rest, is an ever-present reality that he calls us regularly to enter into, to withdraw from work and enter into sharing in his satisfaction, his this-is-very-goodness of our lives, our relationships, and all around. The writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament 
uh, is writing to some Jewish Christians who have converted to Christianity but are finding it tough. And they're being tempted uh, because actually standing up for Jesus is, means they're getting carted off by various emperors uh, to the lions or to martyrdom. So they say, well, actually, mm, this sounds a bit risky. Why don't we just go back to what we had in our Jewish faith? We, we had Moses and Aaron and Joshua. He was one of our heroes of faith. And Joshua, we remember, was the guy who led us into the promised land, into the land of rest. Why, why, why can't we just have that rest? And basically the writer of the Hebrews is saying, well, it, fat lot of good that did you. Look, look at, even in the promised land, you went astray, you worshipped foreign gods, foreign idols. You, you lost such with God. It, it wasn't restful, it was wearisome. You were overtaken by foreign nations. You suffered for generation to generation. You call that rest? Call that satisfaction? No. And he culminates this line of argument in chapter 4 and verse 11. He says, interesting the phraseology, make every effort, if you like, work, at entering into God's rest. Let us make every effort to enter into God's rest, to withdraw from our activity here on earth and to press into the satisfaction, the peace, the shalom, kind of integrity, the soul food that God offers us in Sabbath. It could be said that Christians are called to work at something that work cannot achieve. Christians are called to work at something that work itself cannot achieve. The, the peace, the integration, the kind of satisfaction of being in and sharing in God's rest. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Withdraw from work in order to press into God. Sabbath. So how are we doing? <laughs> how is, uh, actually sorry, I was just to say there's a third principle. Work is good, rest is good and it's like a sort of almost a trick question here um, or a quiz question if you like. What's the very first thing that human beings experience once they are created? What's the very first thing of creation they, they experience? Air. Okay, yeah, good. I wasn't expecting that answer, Karen, but it's a, it's a brilliant one. Uh, yeah, because he breathes into that and they become common living things. They experience air. They do. Um, so I'll pack up and go home. <laughs> no, Caroline, thank you. You're absolutely right. Uh, what I had in mind <laughs> was rest. Was rest. They're made at the end of the sixth day. So they wake up on the seventh day, which God has ordained as rest. So the very first thing that human beings are called to do is rest. And then they work. And there's a really important principle here that as Christians, as people, I would argue, all, all human beings made in God's image, but Christians, we need to champion this. We are called to work from rest, not the other way around. 
Now, I, I so easily default, I've had to challenge myself and kind of realign and repent as I've been preparing this talk, because my default is to go, right, what, Monday morning, okay, what have I got? Where's my to-do list? Where's my calendar? Where's my diary? What am I doing? Boom, boom, boom. And I charge through Monday, and I charge through Tuesday, and I charge through Wednesday, and I charge with my day off, by the way, because I'm working today, so my day off is Friday. So I charge through Thursday. Oh, it's like swimming a length underwater. I get to Friday. Thank God. Am I still alive? Check a pulse. Yeah. And my default is to rest from work. But theologically, biblically, God has set it up and created us so that we work from rest. Our starting point is always the satisfaction of God and of knowing his satisfaction, his pleasure with us. But we finding ourselves delighting in him and him alone trusting that if I seek first the kingdom of God, all these things shall be added unto you. So I I seek him, I'm satisfied in him, I Sabbath in him. And from there, filled, equipped, skilled, envisioned, I work fruitfully and hard. it's, it's, It's not a sort of slacker's mandate. We're called to work, but from rest. So, so to the question I asked just a couple of minutes ago, I wonder how we, we're doing <laughs> in that work for rest ideal. It's interesting how these, these uh, uh, words of life um, interchange and, and connect. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at, um, you shall have no idols. Idolatry, an idol is when you take a good thing, a really good thing, but it becomes to you a God thing. You begin to worship it. In other words, you derive your value and your esteem from whatever it is, the clothes you wear, the image that you have, the way people speak of you, the status in your office, place of work, uh, whatever it might be, idols, either tangible things or um, conceptual things that are good things. It's, It's good that people have a good opinion of us, but if we begin to live our lives in order to garner that opinion and to safeguard it and to build it up, and begin to derive our value and worth from what others think. We're turning a good thing into a God thing. We're idolizing it. Have no idols. I wonder whether we'd be able to argue against in our 21st century Western culture that we haven't made an idol out of our work. All sorts of, of reasons for that, uh, and not least, I think, in, in the last few generations, the rapid rise um, in technology. So we have now a 24-7 availability that, um, you know, my, when my dad was at work, the, it was the, the fastest communication thing they had was kind of the fax machine. But at least that gave you a break. You send off a, th- a document that you need the other party to sign, and at least... You know, one of the things that whirred its way out of the printer. You had a bit of time. You'd go and get a coffee, chill out, Sabbath. But now it's 24-7 immediate availability. Uh, the, the world has shrunk. And in business terms, that means competition has become greatly intensified. So you could do, you know, you could do endless Google searches on the increased amount of stress in the workplace. Uh, the sort of sat- sense of job satisfaction leaking out of our day-to-day existence. How many of us find ourselves saying something like, oh, gosh, where's the time gone? 
It just sort of seems to race on and on. How many of us, if we were honest, were thrilled about the clocks? You know, the clocks, twice a year, the clocks do a thing. And we're thinking last night, we think, oh, the clocks, the clocks, what do they do? They go, they go back. It's the good one. It's the good one. You get an extra hour in bed. And you do, how many of you were deep? God, that is so few. I so need that extra hour. It's a kind of a sign, isn't it, to us that we have, we're beginning slavishly to worship this idol of work. And, and one of the ways in which you possibly can measure um, the uh, nature of overwork in our culture is that we've created another idol to help us escape from it, which is leisure. Um, again, if you just Google leisure, there are over 15 million websites devoted to leisure. The growth of the leisure in industry in the last 20, 30, 40 years has, has grown like topsy. It's, it's extraordinary. The, the, school of, uh, so the University of Iowa has a school of leisure studies. Uh, you can get to take a degree in a, a myriad of courses. Its strap line is taking leisure seriously, <laughs> which I find amusing. <laughs> I was saying to the, uh, when I first started work in Exeter as a school teacher, and um, I was playing sort of a bit of sport, various teams, and uh, looking to, to get fit, and really the only way to keep fit in between matches was to go for a run. And I thought, I wonder if there's a kind of gym anywhere, because at the university that I'd been at, there, there was a gym. So, and this is, Exeter's a city, albeit a small one, but it's a city, you know, facilities, you would have thought, wouldn't you? But this is about 30 years ago. Um, and I found one gym, and I call it, it, they described itself as a gym. It was basically a basement which had a few sort of free weights and two very large men um, who looked like they were overweight for a number of reasons, not, use, not least the abuse of steroids, I think, uh, kind of puffing and panting over these kind of barbells in a, in a slightly sort of BO-ridden, stale basement, and that was the gym. Look, 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 look how gym culture has grown and proliferated today. I mean, you go to the gym, there's a, there's a smoothie bar and a cafe and papers and screens and uh, a pool, jacuzzi. And uh, apparently you can keep fit somewhere in amongst all this great emporium. If you, if you bought shares in Lycra 30 years ago, you're laughing today, aren't you? Just with the whole culture that's grown around gym and fitness. The, 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 the idol of leisure, as they, uh, I would want to say, a sort of disordered response to our idolatry of work. And here's the irony. Work and rest, we need them both and we're satisfied by neither. Someone uh, once said, I, I, I can't remember who, it's one of these phrases that's done the rounds and I'm afraid I don't know who first said this. I think I heard it at a new wine conference back in the day but they summed up our Western culture like this. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. In, in, in the Christian West, we worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. It's one of the reasons why as a value here, we have presents coming up Tuesday week, is it, or no, Tuesday fortnight, uh, and tonight, thy kingdom come. We, we, we want to... We want to work at our worship in a sense, to press into worship, to, to Sabbath with God, to, to get to that place of, of divine satisfaction that he calls us into to experience. How's this, how's this come about? And, and what's the antidote? 
How, how have we got so distorted in our view of work and therefore rest that we view rest as a sort of, the, you know, getting to the end of a length underwater rather than the delicious gift, eternal, everlasting gift of God that he, he graces us with so that we work well from rest. Where's this got distorted? And again, I think it's in the Genesis account. Um, this seventh day satisfaction that n- never ends. We have this beautiful description at the end of uh, chapter two of Genesis. Chapter two, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I think they were physically naked, but I think they were, they were just so transparent to each other. They were, if you like, soul naked. They could look into each other's lives and they felt no shame. They felt like there was no guilt and therefore that I've done something wrong and therefore shame, there's something wrong with me. There's none of that. I, 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 I don't know. I'd argue that that's one of the most beautiful lines in the whole of scripture. God creates this amazing world, this amazing creation. And, and here, just before the fall, human beings, uh, completely naked, I don't mean just physically, in fact, even more than that, I just mean in the whole of their lives, so transparent, so free for you to see me and for me to see you, and they felt no shame. Oh, delicious. temptation I, I, I want to be God I, I want to be boss I want to dictate terms uh, I'll manage my life I'll treat it as my time my resources I'll do it my way and so the fall from grace as we come to know it and uh, God's presences himself amongst them and they, they're hiding now and fig leaves to cover themselves. They're kind of figurative for, I mean they in a sense cover the nakedness but it's more than that, it's deeper than that. They're scrabbling around now to justify themselves. You see if they've ruptured their relationship with the creator, their lord, their savior, then they have to become their own lord and savior. And suddenly they, they need to bolster their sense of self, of who I am, my value, my worth, that I'm something, I'm someone. And in this drive to secure themselves, in this drive to justify themselves, all down the ages, down to you and me and our contemporaries, wrapped into that drive for self-justification, work gets sewn in and wrapped in, what job am I doing? Am I doing the right job? Am I in the right pay grade? Shouldn't I be here? Shouldn't I be there? Look at them, look at him. How's my CV looking? Am I in the right house? Am I in the right area? Am I with the right person? Who will I marry? Where will I end up? How many kids do I want? What kind of name and kind of legacy do I wanna leave? All these things, I'm working, striving to build myself up, to justify myself. And it wearies us because we weren't ultimately called to justify ourselves. God graciously sent someone to become justifier on our behalf, to release us from weariness, from worry, that will wear us out and eventually kill us. 
it's, um, it's almost cliched to quote from Chariots of Fire in a Christian context in a sermon series, but it, in a sermon, but it, this, these two sort of scenes, um, they speak so well of, of the, I think of the, the difference between working from rest and resting from work. Harold Abrahams and Eric Little are the two main characters in Chariots of Fire leading up to the 1924 uh, Olympic Games. Uh, Abrahams is just, he set his heart, he set his whole life, his whole reputation, prestige on being the fastest man on earth. He wants to win the 100 meters. Eric Little is a very fast runner, but he's also a, a, a Scottish uh, preacher, itinerant preacher and a missionary. And uh, with such strong religious convictions, he, uh, when it comes to the Olympics, he actually doesn't qualify for the 100 meters because um, the heats are on a Sunday and he will not, he will not run on a Sunday um, because he, that is when he feels called to observe Sabbath. Sidebar, um, there's nothing theological about Sunday. Um, so I, I, ver- I, ha- I work without conscience on a Sunday. It's a day a week. Um, Sunday is very convenient for most people, but it doesn't have to be a Sunday. But that was his choice. <laughs> but there's a scene where uh, Howard Abrams, he's, he's done a training thing. He's sitting in the change room in his kit, and he's with his trainer, who's trying to sort of encourage him, trying to And he just looks, he's so depressed. He's so, he looks haunted and hunted. He's kind of staring into the mid-distance. He sits on, on, the, on the sort of locker room thing. He's staring at the floor. And he, he says this line, this chilling line, as he, you can, am I good enough? Will I do it? I'm, all this effort, all this effort. And he says, when the gun goes off, I've got 10.1 seconds to prove myself. And the weight and the burden of that expectation of work is sitting on him. And the, the almost cliche line of um, Eric Liddell, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And there's Abrahams who is weary even when he's resting. And there is Eric Little who's always at rest even when he's working. And the contrast, stark for you and I. So how do we enter God's rest? How do we throw off the curse of the fall on our working lives and our resting lives in order that we enter fully into the satisfaction of God? It's not just about stopping work, although for some of us sometimes, and I, again I speak to myself here, I'm, I'm not where I'd like to be in terms of boundaries on my work, and particularly for those of us maybe who shift or uh, we work, there are sort of flexible hours, so we're not... Uh, maybe so prescribed by a, a, a company or firm that we might work for, where the hours are not so prescribed, uh, this can be difficult and, and um, a discipline to work through. But, but, but rest, Sabbath, is not just cessation of work, it is pressing into the things of God. Mark 6, uh, and Jesus notices, verse 30, that his disciples are so pressed by the sort of uh, meteoric rise in demand for his and their attention. They are trying to meet all the needs of people who are coming to him, uh, praying for people to be healed um, and uh, all sorts of requests that Mark describes. They, they are so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. A, a, just a 
basic human function to live well and they haven't even got time to eat. And Jesus says in Mark 6, I think it's verse 32, this line, and I've memorized it because I need to remind myself of this on a regular basis. Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Come with me. Come with Jesus. Sabbath, whether it's Sunday or whatever day, period, a significant period of time, you mark out on a regular basis, come with Jesus. Put down the laptop and the phone and all the other distractions. Turn them off. Come, come away from them and come, come with Jesus. So you withdraw from the gadgets and you, you walk with Jesus. Feel him, hear him, sense him walking with you. See what he sees. Hear what he hears. Listen to what he listens to. Come with me, Jesus says. Come with Jesus. Gaze on Jesus. Recognize that Jesus, in dying on the cross, became the justification for you and I. We don't need to self-justify. We don't need to do all these things. Seek first, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven. Seek me. And all these things shall be added unto you. you. You don't need to shore yourself up with fig leaf activity. Come with me, Jesus. And know that because of my death on the cross for you, God is completely satisfied. Such that you can enter into that satisfaction. To a quiet place. For, for those of us on, more on the introvert end of the scale, maybe it is literally quiet on our own. Uh, away from people, I, was, I don't know what where John Wimber was on the uh, founder of the Vineyard Movement on the on the kind of personality index. But uh, I'm told that a, a day a month. I mean, he he had a lot of people around him a lot of the time. So one day a month, he would just sit in a chair and do nothing. Well, not do nothing. He was resting. He was pressing into God. He was listening to his heart and to his soul. He was being still. And the white noise of life, all the demands of to-do list, his inbox was filling in. Doesn't matter. Abate. <laughs> While he sits still. Busy man. But he carved out that time to press into God. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and rest. Rest. Press into the the satisfaction, the deep satisfaction of God. David Psalm, you know it well, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures beside still waters. He restores my soul. We live in a culture that's preoccupied with self. Self is about building myself up, about creating an image, an identity. I need to, to, to work out who I am and declare who I am to the world. And the Christian stance is that no, we are made, as we've read, in the image of God. We're, we're made to be in deep connection with him and with one another. Our, our whole being, body, mind, spirit, heart, emotions, we, we, we know it as the soul. When it, when it rests in God and is at ease and at peace with one another and with creation, then we deeply, truly know Sabbath. 
remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So it's a day a week. It's um, maybe a, a day or two in addition uh, in a season of time we, in the lead up to, to Christmas. We, we know it's going to be busy and frenetic. We know at work there are going to be all sorts of deadlines. You know that's coming. And so is there time you can carve out just to rest amid all the busyness? Seasons of life. Are you single and maybe in a relationship? Maybe you're thinking about getting married. Maybe you just got married. Maybe you're thinking about children. Maybe whatever it is. Maybe you're here for how long and then maybe somewhere else. Maybe you're in this role and seasons of life. Then withdraw from, from all the issues around that. Withdraw in order to press into God. Take time. A morning here, an afternoon here. Uh, withdraw. We've, we've wonderfully blessed. Richmond Park is only two, three miles away. And you can, there are loads of places in Richmond where you would have no idea in, you're in the middle of the city. Possibly apart from the flight path, but I just I, I personally you, you've got your own favourite places. But for, for me, I, I can quite quickly get away, a quiet place with Jesus to think deeply, to draw on Him. Final thing, um, and I, I know I've mentioned this before in a, a talk, so forgive me if you've heard this, but I think it's worth coming back to you, Brother Lawrence who was, uh, lived in a monastery, he was a monk, and he worked in a monastery, uh, and he wrote a little booklet uh, entitled Practicing the Presence of God, and it came from a frustration, came from a place of frustration. He was working so hard, and he was in this monastery wanting to spend time with God, to, to Sabbath, to enjoy God, be satisfied in him. But he couldn't because, um, well, he had to unlock all the things and he had to prepare all the tables for breakfast and he had to peel all the potatoes for the, for the lunch and then he had to sweep the floors and then he had to wash up after breakfast and the meals and then he had to, um, had to sort of prepare the entrance and dust down the mat for when the visitors came. It was, uh, there was so much to do and that was his complaint to God. He said, God, I, I, I want to spend time with you, but I can't because I've got all these things to do. And then it's a revelation. He sensed God to say to him, well, why don't you let me do them with you? Why can't I peel the potatoes with you and wash up the plates with you? And Brother Lawrence said, oh. I'm guessing he did. And so as he peeled the potatoes, he, he prayed, Lord, bless every single person who is nourished physically with this food. May they be nourished spiritually too. And as he prepared the, dusted down the, the, the mat at the entrance and, and cleaned up the entrance hallway, every traveler who comes weary, may they find rest in this a place here and as he swept the floors everyone who treads here and everyone who sleeps in these rooms and he found himself soaking in prayer and in God's presence and, and, and entering into Sabbath little pinprick moments of the day we can Sabbath on regular occasions throughout the day we just put that in as we draw God into whatever it is we're doing because he, he loves you at your spreadsheet or on your email or as you're teaching a class or as you're conducting a big business deal or dealing with a client or whatever it is he's, he's going ahead of you tomorrow morning he's there and at any moment we can appropriately withdraw in order to press in moments in the day a day in the week and then chunks of time in months and seasons and years so that every single one of us for the sake of our flourishing remember the Sabbath and keep it holy.
Let's pause for a moment. And there are maybe a couple of things going on at the, at the same time for a number of us here that, that we are kind of renewing an appetite, a desire to, to, to lean into God, to rest in him, to, to know ourselves, to be deeply satisfied by him. That's, that's rest in order that we can work. And at the same time, I wonder whether in some of us, I know in me as I've been preparing this, uh, the spirit just highlighting little bits and areas where I've got out of kilter, priorities out of shape, things the wrong way around, which accounts for the weariness that I sometimes feel and the, the, the sort of my soul becoming thin fragile, maybe impacting my relationships with others, my temper, my uh, limits of my patience, all telltale signs of a, a soul being squeezed, insufficient rest, too much idolatry at work. And the Lord, by his spirit, wonderfully, gently, but actually very accurately, I think he, the, the spirit is so specific if you, if you get the sense of just you're useless or you're hopeless, that's condemnation. That's probably from the enemy. Tell him to bog off. But if it's specific, you know a, a particular work habit or a, a, a sort of pattern you've slid into and it'll be very specific, the spirit pointing it out even now and, and inviting you to recognize that and to repent and to replace with different pattern, different lifestyle, different priority that is seeking ultimately to rest from which we work. It might be a very practical thing he's asking you to do. It might be some thinking that in this next week he's inviting you to just carve out time just to think, to reappraise, to reassess with a view to changing And again, all of this, it's, it's for our good. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to live life well, to work well and to rest well so that we live well. So just allow the, the Spirit to minister. Allow the Spirit to bring his conviction. It might be that he wants to behind that show you, you know, what, is, what are the kind of strongholds? Is it fear? Is it inferiority? don't match up, I'm not quite good enough, that kind of imposter syndrome that can so often drive us in unhealthy ways to unhealthy ends. 
And that's why you need to come with Jesus and hear Jesus speak to you, to call you by name, to affirm who you are in him. In a sense, that's what rest in God is. Sabbath is so that I know who I am. I know who I am. No need to prove myself. No need to strive. It's not a mandate to be lazy. We work. We work diligently. We work thoroughly. We work conscientiously and hard. But we don't do it for us or for our image. We do it to make him look good. So allow the Spirit to recalibrate your priorities, your goals. So that you live well for him. Come Holy Spirit, ministering in our hearts and minds all across this room. Come Holy Spirit. Uh, just a few it's, there's nothing I, nothing I love more than actually standing alongside someone who is praying a prayer of confession and just saying oh God I'm so sorry I've got this wrong this is the time to deal with stuff to confess it it's a beautiful gift repentance God gives it to us to release us so that we're free to take on more of him we're, gonna, we're about to worship thy kingdom come we're going to extend the worship I'd love for you to just enjoy that <laughs> to press into God to delight in him so please do, you, can, you don't need to, you can, just, you can confess on your own and to receive his uh, forgiveness that he's already won for you. But if you'd like to stand with someone, it could be just someone you're next to, someone you know, or Lydia, myself, others, we're really happy, Joe, we're really happy to, to stand with you as you pray and to pray with you and to release you into renewed life. Should we, uh, I wonder if we can invite Connor, is that okay? If we can have the band back in. I'll, I'll hand over to Lydia. There's, I'm sure, a few things to, to do. Um,